0: All right, would you open God's precious holy word to 2 Kings 13? A little more of the historical record, but only from 2 Kings here. Uh, this particular account is not paralleled in Second Chronicles, so we're just in this chapter tonight. It's it just seems inevitable. And of course, the Lord from the first told us it would always be this way because he said, let's see, the Hebrew, he, he sighed in grief. He relented over the state of man in the pre-flood world and declared that the tendency of man is only to do evil all the time. Of course, he goes back to the original sin and the disobedience of the first woman and man, Eve and Adam. But there is no place in the Bible where goodness endures. That's why we have the promise and the inexorable march in humankind toward the kingdom of God. in which there will be nothing but righteousness for those thousand years until the the brief rebellion at the end of those thousand years it's interesting because for those thousand years Satan is bound for that time there are people there are people who are born there is procreation of the human race that continues in the millennium they have, no, they have no access. They're not in any way tempted by Satan because he's locked up. It's just the human race. And they do have personal access to the King of Kings, the Lord Christ. He's seated on the throne. And when you study the millennium and all of the chapters and verses that are given to us about it, The nations, and interestingly, there will be nations, various nations, in the millennium, they are required at their appointed times to go, and in going, they take gifts from their nations to give to the most favored nation of Israel and to the King of Israel, who is the King of Kings, the Lord Christ. And also required, of course, in coming to be taught by Christ. It's a very interesting study. But even at the end of the millennium, having direct access and no temptation from Satan, then Satan is loosed for a little season. And a certain amount of the human race who had otherwise never known any kind of of a sinful administration or evil rule or whatever, ministered to and taught, no doubt, by resurrected saints of the church and the leadership around the world is perfect, completely and absolutely ruled over with a, a staff of iron by the Christ, the King of Kings. And for all of, the, for all of the favors and so-called perfection that exists during the millennium, there are still certain ones who rebel against the Christ at the end of the thousand years. And there's a brief war, which literally brings an end to the first heaven and the first earth. And it, it it blows up, it dissolves, and emerging from that is the great white throne. And then the new heaven and the new earth to be created out from that. Now I'm saying all that to say this. With King David, Israel got such a great start. Now he sinned and he acknowledged his sin. But he was a man who is in pursuit after the heart of God. He was chasing after the heart of God. That's what the Bible says. And so the nation became prosperous. The people were blessed. And King David was a good king. Then came Solomon who failed along the way. And after King Solomon, the division of the kingdom, the northern kingdom of Israel, the southern kingdom of Judah, the capital city of Samaria, the capital city of Jerusalem. And right off the bat, Jeroboam, the first king of the northern kingdom of Israel, leads the people into heinous sin. He establishes a careful reading leads us to understand that he had this feeble attempt to create something like the temple worship in Jerusalem so that the people would not feel forsaken in the northern kingdom. And so he made some, he made some images that in his mind would help the people remember Yahweh but those things became idols and then of course the people just collapsed into idolatry and there is never a good king in Israel. Now there is one who, we've read about him long ago, who, who instigates and implements a little bit of, uh, of uh, revival, I guess you'd say. But they just slide for the centuries, the decades of their existence, they just slide further and further into idolatry until their sin causes God to judge them and judge them absolutely. And he, he, he raises up the Assyrians to do that. We haven't gotten there yet, but we'll get there, God willing, in a, in a few weeks, the collapse of the Northern Kingdom. And then for another few decades, the Southern Kingdom continues on But only recently have we seen among those sons of David a king who did evil in the sight of the Lord. And so now this sin is introduced. And once it happens that way, it seems like it it just never goes back. It's like a Pandora's box that's been opened up. Even with a good king here and there, you have... uh, Josiah, And then later on, Hezekiah. Even with a good king here and there on the the throne of David. Yet still, finally, they totally collapse into idolatry and sin. And then God raises up Babylon. Babylon destroys Assyria. Babylon does what had never been permitted before. Namely, the invasion of Jerusalem and the capture of the temple. And the vandalizing and then carrying off all of the precious vessels, golden vessels and all the silver, everything that was in the temple, they carried it off and mocked the God who was represented by those vessels. As Ezekiel tells us that God informs Ezekiel that he had long since left that temple, that his presence was, if his presence was there, it could never happen. Pretty long since left. So here we are in this history of the northern kingdom, and then also the Southern kingdom. we're already starting there, but we're continuing in the Northern kingdom here in this chapter, how it is just it is just a decline that seems irreversible. Consider the the world, the history of the world, except for Israel and then Judah after the division of the kingdom, there's never been a theocracy in the world. And even in that theocracy, the priesthood themselves, the priests themselves the very ones who were to teach from and protect the law and to honor the worship and the services of of the temple where God's presence was to be, even they finally collapsed into not just immorality, but, but paganism, idolatry. Ezekiel brings all of that out, reveals it. So, throughout history, and that's, that's the only theocracy there's ever been. Now, there have been in the Western world since Rome, especially after the Reformation, there have been nations who have tried on a national basis to honor the church but a state church never works. It, it gives power that is not power defined in the New Testament. It's a different thing. It's, it's an amalgamation of worldly principles and something out of the Bible or out of the New Testament, but never works. Because all of those churches finally end up in... Um, in unbelief, in liberalism, carnality. Um, History shows that the birth of our nation came about because there were God-fearing Christians who were wanting to escape religious persecution that was coming upon them from the so-called church itself. Now you can fast forward that by 300 or so years and consider the spiritual state of our nation that got such a start, such a wonderful start. Based on the gospel of my my first doctorate, my first dissertation was this comparison that drew a conclusion about the demise of the northern kingdom of Israel and the United States of America. The northern kingdom of Israel was not a theocracy. They did not have the temple. They did not have the priesthood. They did not have the son of David on their throne. And so there was all this political conspiracy all the way through their history as to who's going to be the next king. And it, of course, It created weakness in the spiritual lives of the people. And they were pretty much from the outset collapsed into idolatry. And pagan worship with the Baals, the Baal worship. And of course finally crept into the southern kingdom as well. But the the comparison to be made and the way that God brought the northern kingdom to judgment. And one of the things was he brought about confusion and division and there was no knowledge. Hosea writes in those last days of the northern kingdom, Hosea prophesies to them. He's the prophet who was told to marry a prostitute so that he could get firsthand knowledge of how God felt regarding how his people had forsaken him. And he said, there is no knowledge of God in the land by swearing and stealing and killing and committing adultery. They break, they break the restraints. They break the bonds. They break forth. They, they just look at God in the face and say, no more God. Leave us alone. We want to go our own way. And then he said, and blood touches blood. So when God lifted his hand of blessing, they rejected God and his word more and more. They adopted the ways of the world and darkness more and more. And one of the curses on the nation was that God God gave them unstable leadership so that I think it was like in the last 20 years of the northern kingdom of Israel, I think it was in the last 20 years, six different kings sat on the throne. It was total confusion. There was no leadership. In the time of Jeroboam, we'll get there, God will, in a couple of weeks. Jeroboam II in the northern kingdom, God permitted them to to be raised up to the pinnacle of world power in their world in that day. And they were unquestionably the strongest economy and the strongest military and strong leadership from Jeroboam the second. And God says, the more you were increased, the more you sinned against me, the more I blessed you, the more vanity there was in your heart, the more pride that existed and swelled up, in your lives. And it talks about they lived, they lived in these expensive towers. And they had ivory. Uh, they, they were on uh, sofas of ivory. And all this kind of the riches were flowing. And all of these things happened. And they became so wealthy and, and so blessed. That they turned their interest to themselves. And their own fleshly lusts. And it brought about destruction. Assyria swept upon them and captured them. And they didn't even realize that they had gotten so weak. Because of the judgment that came. Now the process that brought them to that continues here. In this passage. Of scripture. So we start out in 2nd Kings 13. That's not what we're supposed to be. Whoops. I'm getting a busy signal, Lord. What did I do? One through nine. I got to start at verse one. I was probably getting excited up here talking. I started clicking that button. Story of my life. We're going to begin with the evil reign in the northern kingdom of Israel of Jehoihaz. So let's look at it beginning in verse 1, chapter 13. No, that ain't it. What have I done? That ain't it. Yeah. I've started verse 1. I didn't bring my phone with me. Yes, sir. Now let me go to the next one and see if I go to verse 4. I'm going, huh. Thank you, Jesus. Here we go. <laughs> devil don't want you to hear this. In the 23rd year of Josh, the son of Ahaziah, the king of Judah. Now he reigned for a long time in Judah, southern kingdom. Jehoiah is the son the son of Jehu, reigned over Israel in Samaria 17 years. Here we go again. He did what was evil in the eyes of Yahweh, and he followed the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, which he caused Israel to sin, and he did not turn away from it. Now this goes all the way back to Jeroboam, their first king. We've seen this before from time to time, how the new king who is gonna do evil how it's pointed out that he just kept on doing what Jeroboam started. How hot hell must be for Jeroboam the first because he's the instigator. He is the first big influence in his rebellion against the house of David and against Rehoboam, the grandson of David and in that rebellion he leads the people into a a false religion that he's trying to make look like temple worship and it's not of God and when it comes from the heart of man it's always man-made religion and worship is going to make a mess of everything and everybody and here it is he followed the sins of Jeroboam this is idolatry the son of the when he called Israel, caused Israel to sin, he did not turn away from it. Yahweh became angry with Israel. Now this is during this, this king Jehoiach. He delivered them into the hand of Hazael, the king of Aram, and into the hand of Ben-Hadad, the son of Hazael, all the days. There is another thing that even the church... Doesn't really pay enough attention to, and that is the absolute sovereignty of God. A nation is led into sin by unspiritual leaders, and unspiritual leaders become despots. And absolute control is what they yearn for. And then the people are unrestrained. A despot, a despot cannot handle the challenge of the supreme God. He can't handle it. So he, he's of the world. He's, he's, he's controlled by the God of this world, the God of this age. And so he doesn't realize it, but it becomes his job to wage war against Yahweh, against God and his Christ. Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage against God and his Christ? That heaven sent worship, I don't like to use the word religion, that that, that heaven sent salvation is always based on the truth that God will provide for himself a sacrifice, as Abraham declared so long ago, the seed of the woman. Therefore, while maintaining righteous civilian living, we cannot forsake the worship of the true and living God. That gets in the way of power hungry leaders who become despots. So they surround themselves with with an elite caste of people who have, who have financial power and, and other kinds of power and authority, anything that will affect any part of a person's life, these despots want to control it. Therefore, forcing your loyalty to that despot, you see. So... Any other kind of worship is okay except the worship of God and His Christ. Some, something becomes important, more important than the true and pure worship of the Lord. And in the test of time, Almighty God. Cannot stand for it. And he'll bring it to an end. And we could stand up here for a long time and go through the graveyard of nations who no longer exist. Where despots rose to power and sought to themselves complete authority even over the souls of... That's called Babylon in the Bible. Babylon. That is the way of Babylon. Where humanity becomes a commodity that's Babylon we can never agree the church could not agree to that thus the church has been tormented and has suffered throughout its existence Israel true Israel could not stand for it the prophets they were tormented Hebrews 11 says talks about how they were killed and tortured and killed and Hebrews 11 says, the wor- of whom, speaking of the prophets, of whom the world was not worthy. Those guys didn't have anything really. They didn't have anything. Matter of fact, we're going to see the death t- tonight. We'll see the death of Elisha. Here, now, Yahweh became angry with Israel. He didn't just become angry with the king. He became angry with everybody. They were people were not rising in opposition to the idolatry that was overtaking the nation and overwhelming the land, these these groves, these trees to the Asherah, the consort goddess to Baal. She was the goddess of fertility, and people would dedicate some kind of tree, and if it wasn't a tree they would build a post to Asherah. And it was around in those trees where this horrible, immoral, so-called worship, would take place. And everybody everybody had it in their yards and anywhere across the village. The land and the nation of the kingdom of Israel inundated by idolatry. The king could have done something about it. He didn't. And the people enjoyed it. They felt no conviction of sin. Felt no sense of shame. They enjoyed it openly. And they laughed. And so here's one of those times We've seen them before in this study. Yahweh became angry with Israel. That's the northern kingdom. And what did he do? He delivered him into the hand of Hazael, the king of Aram, and into the hand of Ben-Hadad, the son of Hazael, all their days. So they lost their position, their preeminent position of importance. They were still a nation, but they were a vassal nation. And these out, out of man kings was sucking the life, the economic life out of the nation. And they could pretty much do with whatever they wanted to do. Now this, that one verse covers several years about how the people suffered. but Why? Because Yahweh was angry with Israel. How does he punish them? He brings on another nation and and subjugates them. He, He makes them subject to a foreign ruler, a foreign power. And Jehoiah has prayed before Yahweh. And Yahweh hearkened to his prayer. This guy, Jehoiah. For he saw Israel's oppression for the king of Aram oppressed them. Yahweh gave Israel a deliverer, a savior, a deliverer, and they went free from under Aram's hands, and the sons of Israel dwelt in their dwelling places as yesterday and the day before. But here's the thing about verse five. That doesn't happen for quite some time. The king who was responsible, really partly responsible, for the terrible condition, the spiritual condition of the people, Because he didn't come against it as the king. Yet, still, once he was desperate because of the king of Aram, Hazael, and then Menhadad, he calls out to Yahweh. Yahweh hearkens to his prayer, but not for a while. However, they did not turn away. From the sins of the house of Jeroboam, which he made Israel to sin, they persisted in them. And also the Asherah, there it is. The Asherah stood in Samaria. That's the capital city. That's the place where the king lives. So he prays to Yahweh. Yahweh hearkens to his prayer, but nobody repents. Can you see that? Not even in Samaria where the king lived, where the king's palace was. And Asherah stood in Samaria that means that, a, that a, a decorative pole of some kind would have stood out and it would have represented the goddess of fertility and people would openly and freely engage in this uh, so-called worship that was nothing less than an unrestrained orgy All the time. All the time. They didn't turn away. They didn't repent. They persisted. So much so that the king didn't even move in any way. He didn't didn't move a muscle to remove Asherah in Samaria. For he had not left to Jehoahaz but 50 riders and 10 chariots, For the king of Aram had destroyed them and made them like dust to trample. So he had no military left. And the rest of the events of Jehoahaz and all that he did in his might are written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Israel. Jehoahaz slept with his forefathers and they buried him in Samaria. And his son Joash reigned in his stead. Jehoash's reign was evil as well. Let's continue on verse 10. In the thirty seventh year of Joash, the king of Judah, Joash the son of Jehoias reigned over Israel in Samaria sixteen years. Joash, the king of Judah, I said that. Didn't I? The king of so we're 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 still looking at the contrast. These nations are mentioned together because they are the covenant people. All conclusive. Summarily, all of them together are the covenant people of Yahweh. They are the physical descendants of Abraham. So now this next king comes along. He reigns in Israel, Samaria for 16 years. Here we go again. He did what was evil in the eyes of Yahweh. Didn't turn away from all the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, which he had made Israel sin. He persisted in it. He promoted it. He enjoyed it. He persisted in this terrible, terrible behavior. The rest of the events of Joash and all that he did in his mighty deeds, how he fought with Amaziah, the king of Judah, are written in the book of Chronicles of the kings of Israel. Joash slept with his forefathers and Jeroboam sat on his throne. And Joash was buried in Samaria with the kings of Israel. Doesn't say much about him. He's just the same old bad guy like the rest of them. Now, we haven't heard from Elisha for about 50 years at this point. If you consider the time span from the last time we studied Elisha, he's very old and weak and sick now at this point. And although God doesn't take him away in the same grand fashion that Elijah was taken away there's something grand about his death and burial. So let's look at it. His final prophecy and his death. Now, Elisha became ill with, it, with the illness that he was to die from. And Joash, the king of Israel, went down to him and wept on his face and said, My master, my master, Israel's chariots and riders. The king knew. How many times Elisha, the spiritual power of Elisha the prophet, saved the kingdom? He knew this. And he does at least make this statement that really the true power of Israel did not rest in chariots and and calvarymen or whatever. It rested in the spiritual power of Elisha. Proven, proven throughout his life. We, we know all that happened in his life. We've studied it. Elisha said to him, fetch a bow and arrows. He fetched him a bow and arrows. He said to the king of Israel, place your hand on the bow. He placed his hand and Elisha placed his hands on the king's hands. And he said, open the window to the east. And he opened it and Elisha said, shoot. And he shot And he said, "This is an arrow of salvation from Yahweh, and an arrow of victory over Aram. And you shall strike the Arameans and Afech until they are completely annihilated." This is like the final prophecy of Elisha. And he said, "Take the arrows," and he took them. And he said to the king, "Now strike the ground." He struck three times and stopped. Now what he had, he just said, he said, this is an arrow of salvation from Yahweh. See, this should have made this guy happy, but he was sort of nonchalant in the way that he struck the ground. He only struck the ground three times and then he stopped and the man of God was incensed against him. And he said, you should have struck five or six times. Then you would strike the Aramaeans until you would annihilate them completely. But now you shall strike the Aramaeans only three times. Elisha died and they buried him. And Moabite bands would invade the land at the beginning of the year. It came to pass when they were, that they were burying a man. And behold, they saw the band. They saw the Moabites coming to raid them. They're trying to carry this guy, this dead guy, to his to his grave. And so here was Elisha's grave, so they just opened up the rock and threw him in Elisha's grave. The dead man went down and touched Elisha's bones, and he came to life and stood up on his feet. How about that? That's a message. To the northern kingdom. Better go back and study Elisha. His life. His ministry. His message. His God. And heed all that he says. He has this spiritual power and prophecy. Even after he's dead. And he's in his grave. And there's a message. That comes forth. From the grave. Of Elisha. Now let's finish out the chapter. Israel recaptures cities from Aram. Okay, remember, shoot the arrow. He did. Here, take the arrows. Strike the ground. Three, three times. He could have. He could have just kept doing it until the sun went down. I mean, he, you know, there was no limit to it. But he didn't. Okay, remember, three times, three arrows. Three, struck uh, struck the ground three times. Now, Hazael the king of Aram oppressed Israel all the days of Jehoaz. Yahweh was gracious and merciful to them and he turned to them for the sake of his covenant. You see, God does it for his sake. I'm not worthy of the salvation of God but God has declared from time immor- immemorial that I'm of his elect and whatever he sees, he, everything is, is for his sake, for his name's sake. It's all about God. And here it is all about God. The sake of his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, he did not want to destroy them. He did not cast them off from his presence until now. And Hazel died, and his son Ben Hadad reigned in his stead. And Jehoahaz, the son of Jehoahaz, Okay, that guy had the promise that there was going to be a savior, a deliverer. Returned and took the cities from the hand of ben the son of Hazael, which he had taken from the hand of his father Jehoaz in battle. Jo- Joash beat him three times. Recovered the cities of Israel. And that guy could have just kept beating the ground. He only did it three times. Okay, You get three victories. How much more could there have been if only we would have absolute faith in the absolute sovereign God who is in absolute control of every man's heart and mind and every nation in the world. Well, we'll stop there and we'll have our deacon prayer time.